This Advent season, we've been dealing with the question, are you willing to have your world turned upside down by Jesus? Evidently, Zechariah of the uh, New Testament wasn't at that point in his life. He's introduced to us in Luke chapter 1. He suffered something that many of you are familiar with and perhaps have suffered yourself. He suffered from this thing called barrenness. He and his wife Elizabeth were unable to have a child. So he's up for his priestly duty, and by lot, he's selected to go into the temple and burn incense. His world was about to be turned upside down by Jesus, but Zechariah had been disappointed for so long that he could not believe that he and Elizabeth could have a child, even though an angelic visitor from God himself was telling him this would happen. So an angel appears to Zechariah while he's in the temple. He's startled, he's frightened. That's an understandable reaction. The angel tells him to not be gripped with fear and then goes on to tell him that he and his wife Elizabeth will bear a son and they're to give him the name John. John would be for them a joy, the angel says, a delight. And the angel then says he's going to cause many to rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will come in the anointing of Elijah, turning the hearts of the fathers back to their children, turning the hearts of the disobedience to the wisdom of righteousness to make ready a people for the Lord Jesus Christ. This encounter blew a circuit in, in his mind. Zechariah just couldn't take it in. He had wanted a child for so long, and this imposing, frightening, angelic visitor telling him it's about to happen just seemed like it blew him away. He was stuck in unbelief. You ever been stuck in unbelief? I mean, he has an angelic you know, person standing there telling him, you're going to have a child, yet he's stuck in unbelief. Unbelief robs you of joy. It can cause you to be cynical or cranky. I've been studying for the past year or so a lot about health. Um, and I'm beginning to realize there's a big difference between being healthy and being fit. Being fit involves your body being in shape and looking good, I guess. But being healthy involves body, soul, and spirit. It's about being right with God, being in good relationship with other people, having emotional well-being and self-awareness of, of what's going on in your, in, your, in your life. And also, it includes being fit, but it's not only about being fit. Health is a lot more than just being fit. And some of you should be going, amen. I can be healthy without being fit. Yeah, you can. And one of the things I've been reading multiple times over the last year is this, the power of a smile. In fact, some studies are showing if you just smile, it fakes your soul out and you think you're happy. And, and they're saying smile in spite of the way you feel because smiling is so good for you. And so this Christmas season, I want to encourage you to practice the benefits of a smile. Amen? Just try it once. Just look in the mirror and smile at yourself. You'll feel a little bit better. I think on that day when the angel visited Zechariah, he probably should have just said, smile and said, praise God. Amen? And received of the Lord. But he was so steeped in his unbelief, so 
caught up in kind of probably some cynicism and unbelief that he couldn't bring himself to believe what God was telling him. Listen, listen, sometimes we have to discipline ourselves to be full of joy, and then the joy actually comes, amen? So this Christmas, try cracking a smile every now and then to somebody and see if it doesn't help you. Listen to this exchange that takes place between Zechariah and the angel as their encounter ends. Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you do not believe my words, which will come to at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but, was, uh, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home, and after this, his wife Elizabeth became what? Pregnant. And for five months, remained in seclusion. I think she thought this is too good to be true. And she remained in seclusion for five months. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. We read here that Zechariah lost his voice. He was literally unable to speak because of his unbelief. Listen to this now. Think about this. I wonder how much we, church, lose our voice into culture because of our unbelief. Amen? It might not be a literally losing of the voice, but when we don't believe God, when we don't have testimonies like we just saw here from the youth, when the joy of the Lord isn't bubbling through our lives and captivating our hearts, I think we lose our voice. We lose the ability to speak in our culture. So here's a reflection thought I'd like you to ponder today. What is wrecking your soul today? What's wrecking your soul right now? Where is this point of unbelief in in your life, perhaps, that God may be ready to move in that situation just like he moved in Zachariah's situation? Engage with what I'm talking uh, to you about this morning. What is wrecking your soul today? Begin to ask God to do something miraculous in your life. Amen? To change that unbelief, that point of maybe criticality or that, that thing that's causing in you some cynicism or negativity or whatever language you want to put on it. Uh, bring that to the Lord today and see if he won't turn that around for you. Begin to grapple with it as the day unfolds. I've been relentlessly pursuing the Lord over this last year for peace, to not be an anxious person, and whatever situation I have, to have, it, have peace just transcend that situation. Maybe during this Advent season, we've been talking about these critical kind of, kind of uh, 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 things that are supposed to happen during Advent, like hope and love, and today is joy, next week is peace. Maybe God is taking some of us here this morning on an odyssey, on a trip a little bit, where he says, you know, you know about this concept called love, or you know about this concept called joy or peace or hope, but maybe it needs to become something you really live, Amen that you're not satisfied with just knowing about it. You want to begin to truly experience it where it becomes a reality in your life, not just something you talk about. I mean, begin to relentlessly pursue the Lord, amen? 
Maybe that's your issue. Maybe that's your place of unbelief that, that, that's wrecking your soul. Well, the, the story of Zechariah continues in the second half of Luke chapter 1. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth to the baby. As foretold, she has a son. On the eighth day, they brought the boy to be circumcised, as is the custom of the Jews, and at that time, they would name the child. They were going to name him after Zechariah. Now, you've got to remember, Zechariah can't speak, right? And, and Elizabeth interrupts the, 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 the naming of the boy and says, no, his name is John. And they're mystified. Well, nobody in your family is named John. And then Zechariah grabs a tablet and he writes on it, his name is John. And then something miraculous happens. His tongue is loosed and he cannot contain himself. Maybe he needed some quiet time. Maybe he needed a few months of reflection to really grapple with what God was doing in his life. But this boy bursts forth in praise, amen? And he sings a, a prophetic song of praise that's just wonderful, just welled up with him, within him and came out. And, and if he were to write a sign today, his second part would be this. I'll just let you read it. Amen? Some of you probably thought I forgot to turn my sign over, didn't you? Yeah, I know that bugged you, didn't it? He caught you, got you involved, kept you going. Do I have it upside down? I have the wrong side. That is, now do I have it upside down? There you go. Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> that really made me lose the moment with you, didn't it? <sighs> oh, well. At least you can read it. Cherie wrote it, so you could read it. If I wrote it, you wouldn't know what it was said anyway. Um, <laughs> I find myself uh, singing a lot lately. I, I sing along with Christmas songs. Uh, poor Lydia, I give her a ride to work. <laughs> and frequently she has to listen to her old man sing a song. Um, I love Christmas. I, I love the songs. I love the new. I love the old. I love uh, everything about it. I used to... Uh, really be expressive when I was a young man, um, not very self-conscious, I'd sing a lot and, and say things out loud sometimes. And then life kind of goes on and you grow up, don't you, a little bit. You get mature, you get old, you get cranky. You get kind of uh, self-conscious, like maybe more than you used to be. And sometimes the negativity of uh, the world can just... Uh, squashed the joy of Jesus right out of you. And lately, you know what I've been doing? Again, finding myself in that regard and being a little bit more expressive and singing a little bit more. And I, I, I thought the other day, I'm back. You ever been like that? I'm back. I'm back to this good place. The joy of the Lord needs to well up within us. It has to undo some of our conservatism. You know that? I know you're all Midwestern folk. And I understand being conservative. But every now and then, listen, let it come out. Amen. Just kind of let it well up in you and come out. There's joy to be had in a bunch of ways, you know, to be experienced. I'm not saying you all need to sing a song, because evidently I watch some of you while we sing, and you don't like to sing or something, you know. And that, that's fine. But, but, but joy can come out of us other ways. I, I love athletics, and sometimes I'll just watch a sporting event, and I marvel at the, at the gift that God has given that person to be so athletic. Amen? Follow what I'm saying? Um, I see Colton wearing the Green Bay Packers thing over there. <sighs> but, you know, Aaron Rodgers is a really good quarterback. And sometimes I marvel at what he can do. And, and, and sometimes you just, I mean, 
Brown caught a pass against his helmet the other day. I'm going, oh my goodness, who does that, right? And you just look at the athleticism, and you, see, you marvel at it, and you kind of let that joy come out. You know, there's joy in a, in a good, hard day of work, isn't there? There's joy when you think, I've done my best today. I've done what I could unto you, Jesus. I did it for your glory. I worked through this problem. I worked with this team. Uh, you know, and you can just take a moment and let the joy of that come out. We're so busy doing and accomplishing and performing, we're not taking a moment and enjoying what God is up to in our lives. Sometimes we have this really good friendship, right? And you sit down and you talk with somebody and you connect with them. Just enjoy the moment. Enjoy the moment with your wife. Enjoy the moment with your family. Be present and let the joy of God bubble out of that moment and, and just let it captivate your soul a little bit. Um, you know, this moment we're having right now, isn't this cool? Amen? Oh. You're killing me. Isn't this cool right now? Yeah, we're here together, a family of God. We have the commonality of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We're rejoicing at the incarnation and the birth and all the implications of that. Isn't this good? You know, the joy of God should well up within his people. Every now and then, we should kind of burst forth in praise. Listen to what, what Zachariah says here. I'm going to read what is called his song of praise at the end of Luke chapter 1. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Here's our big thought this morning. Joy should find its way into the heart and the countenance of the one who understands what God has done for him or her in Jesus. Joy should find its way into our hearts and into our countenance because of Jesus. So I'm going to end this message this morning just by almost going into Zechariah mode. I'm going to speak to you like Zechariah would speak to you this morning. And I'm going to pull out some of his thoughts from his song of praise, from the prophetic utterance that God gave him. And I'm just going to talk to you about reasons that joy should well up within us. I can hear uh, Zechariah saying this, get your joy up, get your joy up, for God has shown up and redeemed. Get your joy up, for God has shown up and redeemed. I've heard this phrase for several years when, when talk is made about the incarnation uh, of Jesus Christ, that he put on flesh and became one of us. I kind of like this, this language. He moved into the neighborhood. He became one of us. He became a neighbor. He put on flesh. He felt our pain. He, you ever think about how that must have been limiting for him? He's God. All of a sudden, he's limited by time and space and flesh and appetite and hunger and pain and all these things. That must have felt like wearing a, you know, 
restraint jacket of some sort. It just must have felt so different. But as cool as the incarnation is, it didn't stop there. He redeemed us, we're told by Zechariah. In other words, he purchased us back from sin by a substitutionary death on the cross on our behalf. Get your joy up, amen? Jesus has come. He's dwelt among us. He so loved us, and this is what Pastor Aaron was talking on last week, and I love this. He so loved us, it took him to this position of extravagant action of dying on the cross for us. Get your joy up, amen? That ought to crack a smile on some of you. Fake it, if nothing else, amen? Joy, unspeakable joy. An overflowing well, no tongue can tell. Joy, unspeakable joy. Rises in my soul, never lets me go. There are three aspects to the redeeming work of Christ that are articulated by Zechariah in the Song of Praise. I'm just going to blast through these really quick. Jesus is our horn of salvation. Horn in the Old Testament was a metaphor for power because of the great strength of horn animals in the Near East. The power of salvation resides in Christ. God promised in Psalm 132 that he would make a horn grow out of the house of David. And out of the house of David, a Savior would come. One of his descendants, in other words, would be Messiah. Zechariah saw it. Zechariah witnessed it. Jesus is our horn of salvation. He is our redeemer. He has the power to complete it. God has shown mercy. That's another aspect of redemption. God has shown mercy. Mercy means this, action taken out of compassion for others in which one undertakes to alleviate the suffering and mercy of somebody else. It is an act to address compassionately the plight and wickedness of others. God in mercy sent Jesus Christ to alleviate our suffering and our misery because we were lost in sin. Jesus is our Redeemer. God has shown great mercy. And lastly, God remembered his holy covenant. All the way back in Genesis 22, God promised Abraham that a blessing would come from his lineage because he was a faithful follower. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And we're told in the New Testament, Abraham so believed that God could raise Isaac even from the dead that he was willing to do that. And because Abraham was so faithful, God said, your descendant's going to bring blessing to all Mankind, a descendant will come from you that will bless all people. Guess what Zechariah recognized in Jesus Christ? The fulfillment of this holy covenant made to Abraham. And he praised God that he remembered his holy covenant. Get your joy up, amen? Smile a little bit, fake me out if nothing else. Fake out your soul, it's good for you. Joy, unspeakable joy. An overflowing well, no tongue can tell. Joy, unspeakable joy. Rises in my soul, never lets me go. I think if Zechariah was going to say a second thing to us today, he'd say this. Get your joy up, for now we can serve the Lord without fear in holiness and righteousness. Get your joy up. Zechariah, are you, are you amazed at his understanding in this prophetic utterance? Are you amazed at the insight that the Holy Spirit had given him? 
He understood that Jesus and the work that Jesus would do would take away our sin and it would take away our fear of being in the presence of God. He understood what it meant that we were going to become children of God by the work of Christ. And he says, no longer do you come before him in fear. But you come before him now in a righteousness and a holiness because of what Jesus has done. And he couldn't contain himself. No wonder he sings praise. Get your joy up, loved. Love on God. Crack a smile. Let it come through. Joy, unspeakable joy. An overflowing well no tongue can tell. Joy, unspeakable joy. Rises in my soul. Never lets me go. The joy of the Lord, we're told in the Bible, is our strength. And I pray whatever your present situation may be that you're going through in life, that the joy that overwhelmed Zechariah would captivate your heart and overwhelm you also, and that you would experience the strength God has as you have a joy of salvation.